I think any public display of anything has a motivation behind it. It could be me posting an update, an ad, whatever. You have to look at the motivation. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, everybody. My name is Martin McGovern, and today we have Katie Martell joining us uh, for a conversation with the marketer. Uh, Katie, I'm going to introduce you real quick with your LinkedIn profile, and then I'll ask you to tell us about yourself. And according to your LinkedIn profile, you say, to pay attention, this is our endless and proper work. That's a quote by Mary Oliver. And you are a marketing truth teller host, speaker, and rabble rouser, all words that I love. But Katie, tell us about yourself. I just had to recently update that job title description. I think I updated it like two days ago. And I actually forgot what I wrote. But hearing you say it out loud, I think it sounds about right for what I'm nice. doing these days. So I will take it. Thank you. Do you ever just fiddle with your LinkedIn profile? Every day. And you're like, I'll, I'll be this today. Like when you work for yourself, you get to choose, right? So you get to be like, who am I in the cosmos? I'm a rabble rouser apparently today, but it does. It encapsulates what I'm about, what I do these days. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Do I have to answer that terrible question? Tell me about yourself. Oh, absolutely yourself. not. No, I love what you just said there. So um, it leads perfectly into the conversation I want to have with you today because I came across uh, your videos while you were talking about uh, pandemonium. And that, I know that name has changed to woke washing and or woke washed. And, it, you know, you're doing something that when I worked in marketing and advertising, I wish I had the guts to do. Uh, you're just like <laughs> talking bluntly about <laughs> everything that's going on in this arena and being really honest about it. And I think it's, it's a, a breath of fresh air. And so um, I just Thank would you. love for you to maybe share a little bit about how you got to this point in your career to give people context of what you're doing these days. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you. It's a happy series of accidents and I wake up every day not quite knowing what today's gonna bring, but going with it. Um, but yeah, I really love this project that I get, a, I'm very fortunate to be able to work on it. I think uh, as an independent, uh, I've been freelancing, you know, consulting, speaking, ghost writing, kind of just all the things that fall into the freelancing category since 2016. So now it's been like a good five years that I have just been doing essentially whatever I want. Um, that's what's given me the courage, I'll be honest, the courage, the time, the chutzpah to just say, all right, I'm gonna make a documentary now and I'm gonna make a book happen about a topic that I personally am fascinated about and that dovetails with my background in marketing. So um, you should have the courage to do these kinds of projects. They are enlightening, they are terrifying. I've had more personal growth through this. It was just as, uh, I, have a, I was an entrepreneur for about 18 months. I had my own marketing technology startup with a great co-founder who I had worked with at a previous MarTech startup. And it's just, I feel like documentary making and, and book writing and all this, it's the same challenge as entrepreneurship. You're building something, you believe in something, you think there are rules because you can Google like mm -hmm. how to build a company, how to do a document, but there really aren't anything helpful. Uh, there isn't anything helpful on the internet besides, hey, you know, other people have done it. And I, like some days that's enough just to get you to get out of bed and try and keep going. You're like, well, if these people can do it, I can do it, right? It's the same thing <laughs> as being a founder. It's just, you kind of make it up as you go. Um, but it, I'm, I have no regrets, none at all, of being uh, in the world of startups. Um, prior to being in my own MarTech startup, I was part of um, other high growth, small firms. So, you know, right out of school, joined a, a startup, then joined a PR firm that PR'd startups, joined an analyst firm that was going through a giant pivot and ended up founding my own firm after that. It's been a lot in about 12 years, but 
somehow it's all led to a moment where it feels like it's in congruence and it feels very much in alignment now. That's such a fun place to get to. And I mean, I, I think we can see it from your background. Things are looking like they come together pretty nice. <laughs> you guys like this? I just it's hung so this cool. day. I was telling Martin, it's so much fun. And it's a reminder to me every day because it's like, sometimes I find the urge and I really have to fight that urge. You know, you, you go against the grain, right? You're, you're, you feel like the only one doing kind of what you're doing. And it's, it sounds like a good thing on the surface, but in reality, it's terrifying because you're like, is this right? This reminds me that if I want to get anywhere and what I'm trying to do is just to, you know, educate the world and galvanize the world around this very important issue. You got to do things your way. You got to do things in a way that'll stand out. Normal will get you nowhere if your goal is to rock the boat and be a bit of a rabble rouser. Absolutely. And I love that rabble rouser word because <clears throat> that really is kind of, you know, the startup ethos, the marketing ethos. We, we always have to be looking for that next thing, that bit of change, that unique perspective on things. And sometimes we get it right. Sometimes companies do it amazing and they, they really crush it. And sometimes it goes way off the rails. You know, I'm thinking of the Pepsi, you know, woke commercial uh, from years ago. And, and I'm, you know, as you've been going through your career, you know, I, I remember thinking back to like my very first, uh, when I was getting into marketing and advertising and I was in college and I was like my favorite commercial, I was geeking out over commercials. And one of my favorite commercials was, uh, the Sony Bravia commercials. Do you remember those back in the day? It was like a, they dropped a bunch of um, bouncy balls down a street in San Francisco. They blew up a yes. bunch of paint with a clown running on a building in like yes. uh, a different country. <laughs> it was all these like amazing visual commercials that I thought really hit that sweet spot between, um, you know, promoting a product, but also being artistic and, and things like that. And mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm going to get into the marketing world. And then I'm like, doing radio commercials and things like that. But uh, there's there's a lot of different things that are happening in the marketing world and some of it's good and some of it's bad. So when did you start kind of noticing these, uh, these not so great marketing uh, messages that were going out into the world? Oh, every day. If you're in marketing, you, you judge marketing all day long because you're the expert, right? I feel like even if you're not in marketing, everybody feels somewhat like an expert in marketing, right? Because we're all exposed to so much of it mm -hmm. every single day. I actually think that's a detriment to the field. It creates a lot of like founders or CEOs or boards who undervalue marketing because they think they know how it works and what it is because they engage with it all day. You know, it's a really interesting kind of side comment on the state of the industry. We really don't get to uh, get, a, there's no respect for the craft of marketing, right? Everyone kind of thinks they know what it is and how it works. But um, so I think we all kind of go through life looking at an ad and feeling like we are not affected by it. That's mm -hmm. a sentiment from uh, one of my heroes in marketing, Jean Kilborn. Um, she was a pioneering activist and back in the late sixties, she started to pull out advertising. Just like I have a life bag, I'm gonna get it, hold up. Yeah. Don't leave, hold up. Okay, so this is Life Mag, right, from, it is 1964. So right around this time, right, got Jackie O on the cover. I found this nice. antique shop and I just love it. So cool. She would like literally go through and just and just take out ads and, and cut them out and put them up on her fridge. Again, somebody who was just interested in advertising. In fact, at the time, she couldn't even get hired uh, without sleeping with people, right, to, to get oh, wow. into the world of advertising. It was just hopefully different days. But, you know, what she was doing was cutting out ads that kind of looked all the same. They all featured um, perceptions of women that were somewhat misogynistic, right? Women in really subservient kind of roles or sex objects or think about the 60s, you understand the advertising of the time, right? Very misogynistic. 
And, and she became the leading expert and, and a pioneer in the space of how advertising affects the portrayal of women and how it's connected to things like domestic violence and body shaming uh, and, and, and health issues related to things like anorexia, bulimia, you name it. It all is affect, we're all affected by advertising. And so we all are kind of a student of it or we're all just kind of caught up in it. You really only have two choices. So a long time ago, I became a student of it, just somebody who wanted to be more literate in it that led to a career in B2B tech startup marketing. But now it's become this kind of mantle. Uh, Jean collected and, and built a whole body of work that's actually being archived at Duke um, about advertise, advertising portrayal of women and, and, and alcohol and, and children. It, I wanna build on that work. So what I've done is started to notice ads that are inherently social movement oriented. So if an ad has anything to do with feminism, right? Or Black Lives Matter. And even if it's just a tweet, not just mass media ads, I've started to notice things that are, you know, more, more social justice oriented coming out of brands. And we've seen a lot of this in 2020. Everything from Black Lives Matter to pride, to feminism, to gun rights, to even things like what's happening at the Capitol right now and the mantle of democracy, like brands take on these, these much bigger issues. Um, and all I've done is start to put together a collection and start to notice patterns and hopefully start to illustrate, hey, this is where brands are doing it in a way that is a win-win for the movement and for the brand. And here's a way that companies are, are, are faltering in that. Um, I like to call brands out, but also call everyone else in. Like Mary wow. Ellen Slater, Called, said that to me once. She introed me one day and she said, you call brands out, but you also call people in to solve the problem. This is not about shaming. This is about realizing the impacts and, and hopefully doing better evolution. I love that. Yeah. And it it is it is fascinating because it will impact us whether we like it or not. You know, I remember back, gosh, I was so little. And this is one of the things that kind of planted the seed <clears throat> for me to eventually go into marketing and eventually, you know, want to look at it from the outside too, where uh, I'd be like sitting there watching uh, commercials, just watching commercials with my brothers, writing our Christmas list. We didn't even know what the TV shows were. We were just like waiting for the commercials. There's no internet at the time. We're just like, what is the next toy they're going to show us so we can put it on our Christmas list? Because we thought Santa still existed. Sorry, kids. I know I'm totally ruining Santa. Anyway, <laughs> um, but like that ability to manipulate that ability to engage or whatever word you want to use, I think is fascinating. And, and to your point, I think a lot of people think it doesn't affect them. I know sometimes when I was in the, in the depths of marketing, I'm like, well, I know what you're trying to do. So of course it can't work mm -hmm. on me, but no, clearly it does because unless you're actively stopping your brain from doing something like that advert, you, you go to Amazon, it hits you three or four times. You're buying that lamp someday. <laughs> this one over mm -hmm. here. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's, it's great that you're taking it to like that next level. You're really looking at the social impacts of it. You're looking at the cultural impacts of it. You're really taking it far beyond, you know, the, the baseline. And what are some of uh, maybe the examples that stand out to you of where companies are? Let's start with where they're going right. What, what, what are maybe some yeah. examples of where they might be doing it, doing it correctly? It's hard because it's it's different for company, right? Which I know mm -hmm. it's a very cliche consultant thing to say. Um, but what we're talking about is is uh, marketing, advertising, social media, any channel that connects a brand to an already existing separate social movement. So again, environmental, right? Sustainability is a big one. Uh, Black Lives Matter, feminism, LGBTQ rights, all of it. 
there's a few brands that I think are, are taking advantage of the fact that consumers are looking for, they may not be deciding, I mean, they may not know exactly what every company in their consideration set is doing, but they are starting to align themselves with, with brands um, with, with which they share mutual values. Patagonia is a great example of a brand that has always put sustainability at the forefront. It's actually been part of their marketing because it's been part of their business for years now. There are more recent brands that in 2020 responded to the an intense, you know, kind of still um, hot button issue of, you know, Black Lives Matter, the protests that were happening, the issue of, of um, uh, race, ra sorry, systemic racism in our various industries. They responded to it. And, and that, that response is a marketing move. And it happened around June last year where we saw companies deciding whether or not to be uh, issuing pride related content because it's June uh, or stay at home stuff for the pandemic or Black Lives Matter. They were kind of deciding between three different zeitgeists. One company that did it really, really well in June was Rent the Runway. Are you familiar with them? Yeah. yeah I'm sure you're not renting the prom dresses on any right? red carpets. <laughs> the prom, well, anything really. It's, oh, it's yeah. for anyone that wants to wear Oscar de la Renta without paying for it. Well, you know, just a rental model. And, and I know a lot of women who use this service. It's, it's a beloved brand. They actually took a hit during coronavirus because a lot of the brands, the, the goods were being used for, you know, events that you events, can't go to, yeah. weddings and red carpets. But the CEO, Jennifer, one of the co-founders, Jennifer Hyman, um, issued this really... Uh, self-aware response. Do you remember the, the slew of CEO responses in June that were like, we stand in mm -hmm. solidarity, racism is bad. It, just these really kind of form letter. There was one guy that made a great meme about how they all kind of sounded the same. Yeah. We stand in solidarity. It's like, oh really, you finally figured that out. Good, good for you. <laughs> it's PR, it's PR, right? It's like, well, we gotta say something, right? And, mm -hmm. and a lot of brands just, that's all they did. They were like, we'll say some stuff, we'll donate some money we'll say we'll work harder and 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 they kind of moved on and in fact it's January 2021 now and I how many are really thinking about it but anyway Jennifer Hyman issued a statement and it was really self-aware in that it, it pointed out her kind of role in creating the kind of system that that created the injustice in the first place which I thought was fantastic she said look our brand and the fashion industry has a moral and financial obligation to do better in this area. You know, we have a history of, of locking out designers who did not have access to capital to be part of our platform, like Oscar de la Renta could be, right? And so they offered a bunch of these very tangible, very important ways to get more Black designers into the whole model of Rent the Runway, the business itself, um, access to the platform, access to manufacturing initiatives, things that get people through these hurdles that the systemic racism is all about getting rid of the hurdles that create lack of access, right, for different uh, populations. So her whole pledge was that, look, we're gonna do better. We're going to do better. And here is the monetary, but also the uh, partnership kind of support initiatives. They're also uh, setting uh, goals, which I thought was key. She said, um, are you familiar with the 15% pledge? It was started by Aurora James for retailers. I, I think it, share it that, in case anyone doesn't know, yeah. Yeah, it, well, what it is, is it's a, it's a pledge to say, look, if, if Black Americans are about 15% of the population, shouldn't they be 15% of the shelf space on retail shelves or inventories? I mean, it's a very, it's a very simple ask. Yeah. Um, and so Rent the Runway signed on to this pledge and said, look, we're going to sign on to this 15% pledge and 15% and of our designers, our talent uh, are going to be, you know, Black and, and represented from people of color. They also looked at 
behind the cameras and behind, you know, who was working on the marketing and who was in the marketing representation wise, who was part of the models of it, really just a full holistic view at, look, we as a business, and this is a template now for anyone who's wondering how to respond to these social movements. What do we as a business bring to the table besides our marketing, besides our Twitter feed, besides our ad budget to actually do something to help the movements that we are now trying to co-op so that we can generate all the PR benefit that they bring, that we can align ourselves with buyers. We're gonna, we're gonna get that trust and that connection on, on a value level, but what can we do that's tangible behind the scenes within our business and within our, 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 the reach that our business has into the community supply chains and partnerships that make something real happen? How can we give back to the movements in a way that is legitimate and not just lip service? The opposite of that, I have a bajillion examples and they're all well-intentioned companies, but they're companies that don't see the opportunity to actually help the movements that they want to be part of the narrative, the conversation, mm -hmm. the zeitgeist around. That's, a, that's it. This is not rocket science. This is a simple opportunity between lip service and legitimate support. I am not the first person to say it, but damn it, I'm probably the only one with the neon sign and I'm, it's like <laughs> my, it, it, it's my thing right now. And I'm hoping to um, really tell the world about this. I want consumers to see this. I want consumers to see this and know that they have to look at advertising through a, a lens of skepticism, yeah. right? I want marketers to see this. I want people inside of companies to see this and know that they have the right to speak up and, and stop any of this kind of lip service from happening. They're missing an opportunity. Yes, they are. And it is that difference between words and actions. And I think one of the things that folks struggle with when it comes to marketing and, and the next topic I want to get into with you is like individuals. How, what, what's the difference between individuals and companies? Where do they overlap? Is that, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of helping people get jobs. And so I'm in the business of helping people create brands for themselves, market themselves. Basically, I just take what I used to do to teach companies or to help companies get your money and I flip it around so you can get theirs. And there's this um, resistance to it in, in a lot of people because it feels fake and it feels inauthentic. And, and usually that's because they're focused on the words more than the actions. And, and we kind of see that go the opposite way. It's like, if the companies are too focused on the words and they do no action, then it doesn't actually uh, help. It's kind of like when those uh, thank you so much to our frontline workers uh, commercials came out and everyone's like, you spent how much on a thank you on a thank you message, but did you ever give any money? Did you ever do anything nice? Like, have you given, you just laid off, you know, 30,000 people and now you're saying thank you to our employees. It's a kind of a mixed message. And, and so, yeah. you know, you mentioned a great example of a, of a CEO and how they put out their message. Um, and I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are between company messaging and individual messaging, company brands and personal brands and how, uh, you know, that, that should be approached differently in this topic. Yeah, when it comes to woke washed, you know, brand responses, um, sometimes the decisions are made in a closed door room from the top of a business or just on the PR marketing Marcom side of the house. And it's the decision of how do we respond as a company? doesn't even look at how the employees are feeling or what the organization as a whole is capable of producing as we, you know, we talked about. Um, then there's other examples. And I'm, I'm trying to remember that the, do you remember the, the company was Expensify and they sent a whole email to like all of their users, mm -hmm. including like, uh, like 10 million people uh, saying vote for Joe Biden. Do you remember this controversy that happened this. just before? 
Yeah, I mean, it blew up because this is a, a, a company deciding on which candidate in a political and the right to choose your candidates. Mm -hmm. It's really inappropriate, I think, to uh, to go after every one of your users and say you should vote for Joe Biden for the future of democracy. Now he might be right. Okay, that's that's not the point. The point is that this was done with the cons essentially the consideration of their entire organization. They gave all of their employees a, a, an opportunity to weigh in. They basically asked, like, are you cool if we do this? <laughs> and somehow it still happened. But I think wow. the reason they did it is because they they took that gut check to say, hey, team, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? And I think those organizations that that kind of gut check or already have the mechanisms in place to have that feedback loop with employees, they, they kind of can take the pulse on whether a move is going to lead to riots not like the capital, but internal like walkouts, uh, employee activism, or whether it's going to be something that does reflect the whole. I mean, a brand is just a collection of people. Mm -hmm. A lot of people like to hide behind the idea of a brand because it makes them uh, not accountable for the actions of that brand. But when you come down to it, every decision made by a company is made by people. I know that's obvious, but what that means is we as marketers, we as employees, have more of a say in, in what our companies do moving forward. We can look at the, the forthcoming pride campaigns and we can ask ourselves whether the employee experience is one that protects the members of the community that that campaign is you know, designed to address. We can look at femvertising that's gonna come out from our brand on March 6th, which is International Women's Day. Every femvertising campaign does that on that day, mm -hmm. by the way. And we can ask, is this a supportive place for women or is our company, right? co-opting the feminist movement for its own brand gain without really respecting its, its role in the movement, AKA, does it have family leave in place and supportive policies or working parents and equal pay for women and every other thing that the feminist movement calls for? There's an employee voice that is really, really powerful. We're seeing it with um, walkouts, more union employees, especially companies like Google, Amazon, bigger firms. We're seeing a lot more collective uh, groups that are coming together to say, we have to hold these brands accountable. We're the ones that work here. People can vote with their wallets, with their talent, right? They can vote with their voice. They can, employees have a lot of power and it's start, I think we're going to see a lot more of this moving forward. Um, but if you're somebody who's trying to navigate whether you speak up or not, whether it's a sexual assault or otherwise, right? There's power in collective voices. There's power in numbers. That is starting to change the scope of how brands respond to social justice movements, it's, they're starting to recalibrate whether they should say something. And for brands that don't want to say anything, right, that want to stay out of politics or stay non-political, this is about human rights. This is about social justice, not politics. So employees are even demanding that those companies start to have a voice. And it has to come from the whole business, grassroots up as well as top down, for this to be an authentic uh, response from brands. Well, you got me going today, man. I am I love fired. It. I love Ooh. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just sit back, you do your thing. No, but um, there's the, I'm glad that you talked about that companies are just a collection of people. Um, one of the things that happens when I'm working with people on their job searches, they get really upset with companies. They're like, companies are ghosting. Companies are taking too long to respond. Companies are X, Y, or Z. And they go, the list of complaints is, is all the way out the window. But um, I keep having to remind them that a company is just a bunch of people with their hair on fire, not knowing what the hell's going on, trying to <laughs> get shit done. And like, 
They're like, this person showed up to the interview and they hadn't even read my resume. I put so much time and effort into that cover letter. I'm like, this person was probably sitting at their desk. Someone walked by and was like, we need someone to interview this person, get in the room. And they had no idea that they were interviewing someone that day. And so I keep trying to remind people that companies are not, I mean, they are legally a separate entity, um, but they are actually just a collection of people just doing their best. And that doing your best, uh, this morning I was uh, reading from the Daily Stoke and it's like, we have to start attempting to assume good intent, but we also have to hold people accountable if they are consistently doing things wrong. Um, and that and that goes both ways. Cause I think so often now um, everyone within the company wants uh, or ha has their own brand. I mean, that's like the big trend right now is everyone is gonna have a personal brand in the next, already, but also in the next 10 to 15 years. And so now the company is not just a collection of people who are anonymous. The company is a collection of lots of people with their strong opinions out there on the internet. And this school of thought gets critiqued in a lot of different directions. And, you know, it's very personal what you tell someone to actually do or not do. But um, what are your thoughts on how individual voices should be um, whether people should be careful, whether they should be loud, whether like they're going against the internal brand of the company, you know, there's the, that thing that happened at Google, right? There was a memo that went through and some people got laid off and there's a big controversy. And, you know, where is that um, for any job seekers who are out there starting to think about be creating their brand or people who are going to create content and start putting their voices out there, what should they keep in mind and how, how should they approach their own personal brand so that they don't get in trouble? Yeah. Oh, getting in trouble is, is, is only one of the many detriments, right, to, to having a voice on the internet. <laughs> I think that there's, um, if you look at this from the world of MarTech and sales tech, we've loved the fact that LinkedIn exists, that every single employee can build a personal brand and essentially just share our stuff, right? It's, it's been an awful, awful, oh, it's awful. And you can always tell because it's, guess what? It's 20 people from the same company with the exact same templated, you know, posts sharing the or same piece layoff of content. happens it's, it's... and they're all like, thank you so much for having me. It's like, uh, there's this one YouTuber <laughs> I, I watch and he's like, you are not an employee alumni. Stop saying that you got laid off. You got fired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. people are, they just feel like they're so scared. Like the bosses are watching. They, they don't know what to say. They, people are scared to even create a LinkedIn profile when they want to find a job sometimes. So sorry to interrupt, I mean, but please keep going. No, no, no. What, what, you're, what you're alluding to, I think is important. I think we have to look at privilege when you look at personal brands, period. I have a wonderful slew of privilege where I sit in this world, right? I have the opportunity to say what's on my mind, critique, hopefully in a way that's respectful. I don't believe shaming gets anything done. Um, be provocative. I have the opportunity to be out as a proud gay woman, because I don't have fear of retribution, because I've chosen a path career-wise that will reward that behavior, hello, and not, you know, hold me back. I think the majority of people in this world are beholden to a paycheck. They are beholden to their job as a livelihood, as their source of health insurance, as their source of, of stability. And when you look at it through that lens, it's really not I think appropriate for someone like me to tell someone like that, you should speak up, you should use your social clout. And, and that's, that's a different type of personal brand. That personal brand is all about protecting the thing that keeps your livelihood going. So you've got to put forth the most professional, the most 
not rocking the boat, right? Uh, way forward, because that is what employers by and large want or employees that are gonna come in and do the job they're hired to do and not rock the boat by doing it. That said, if you are somebody who's in a, a, a position of somewhat of privilege where you have earned the right by your talent, by your results, by your performance, to have a voice that people listen to, that changes the game quite a bit. And I've moved into that territory. Uh, it really started when I had uh, Sintel, my startup, because I became the face of the business. And I really used a background of PR to essentially shine the light on myself and say, I need to promote this business, so I'm gonna start promoting myself so that the business, you know, we didn't have a product yet. It was really just me. That led to what I'm able to do now, but it's only because I've put in the time over the past number of years to build something that requires me to be a bit provocative, right? Requires me to be and understand the levers of thought leadership to get things out into this world. Most people don't have that kind of, um, I don't know, reason to do it. I don't actually believe personal branding is something everyone needs, but everyone should understand the place that they hold in the world, what they stand for insofar as what they're willing to put up with. I think personal branding can lead a lot of people astray and, and make them seem like they, they have to be something they're not. You know what I'm saying? Like you see a lot of people that copy their favorite, I'll just, I'll not name names, but you see a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. You see a lot of people that want the, because of the ego boost that you get from likes and follows and all that, that they, they think that's some kind of success metric to get followers and to get famous and to be controversial on the internet. Look at the long game. I like to look at motivation when I look at people on the internet. I'm like, who does this narrative serve? Hmm. You know, like who does this narrative serve? What What is behind this person being out there on the internet? For most people, it's just ego. Yeah. Simply just, I'm here. Do you see me? Do you hear me? You know, very Oprah. That's an Oprah yeah. um, thing. But I, I think for most people, it's just about, I just don't want to get fired. And I just want to be considered for the next job so that I continue to make more money so my family has health insurance like it is that simple for 90 I would say 99% of people out there yeah I could be just no, I, about it I think you're right and I think and there's there's kind of two ways to look at it right there's the active personal brand and then there's the just you're putting stuff online publicly whether or not you know it's going to come back to get you or not like there's so many people that post uh like that those stories of um the woman who tweeted something got on an airplane, turned off her phone, and when she landed, the entire she world said, "Going hated to her. Africa, yeah. Hope I don't get AIDS." Like oh. Justine Sacco, you deserve to sit down. I'm sorry. Oh, it's <laughs> so crazy. Oh, don't ever <laughs> cringy bad jokes. Bad, bad, bad. Um, oh, that's so bad. And so, but like her life just got demolished, and and I don't think yeah. she's sitting there going, "How do I create a personal brand?" She's just like, she you know, was. She worked in PR. She oh was a communications God. professional. That's what I'm saying. If, if you're somebody who knows the reason that you're putting things out into the world, you're, you have to be willing to deal with the consequences. Sorry. Yeah. Cancel well, culture is, um, well, that's it. Exactly. Cancel culture isn't a terrible thing if it holds people like that, but really broadly, anyone who has the, uh, the privilege of not facing the consequences of their words. If cancel culture can start that and give people a gut check, even that hesitancy, should I actually post this? Man, I think cancel culture is worth it. It doesn't work when it's really going after without evidence or, or proof an individual for no reason. But I don't actually think that's what's happening with 99% no. of cancel culture cases. Well, the big thing is, is setting a precedent. I follow a lot of comedians and they can be provocative as they want to be, right? Because they've spent a decade plus saying, I'm a comedian and here's my tone and they mm -hmm. ease into it over time. And I think 
that's where a lot of people go wrong is that they want to get to that quick fix, that quick success, that fame or whatever overnight. And so they don't take the time to dip a toe in, see what the boundaries are of the things that they should and could and want to talk about and slowly Mm -hmm. grow that with their knowledge base, right? Like, you know, when I get on the live stream and something political happens in the world, I'm not the first person to talk about it because I'm like, I kind of know where I sit in the world. I'm in a little bubble. Uh, Maybe my opinion isn't the first thing that I should say on a live stream. Maybe I should go research some things. And that, to your point, that check of being like, do I have all the information? Am I thinking through this stuff correctly? Have I even built up enough awareness in what I'm doing to comment um, before just, you know, talking aimlessly. And I think that that's a a really smart way to go about it, to think that long-term game, right? You want to be able to, yeah, if you're going to be creating anything, the podcast or anything, are you thinking 10, 15 years ahead of like, is this sustainable? Is this the direction I want to head? I read an article the other day and it was someone talking to his kid and he was saying, um, just think about your behavior and draw the line, right? So he's like, I I try and do that with my kids every day. Eat junk food, draw the line. What does your future look like? Go work Mm. out, draw the line. What does that take you to? If you keep doing that every day. I wouldn't do half the shit in my life if I did that. (laughs) If I followed that advice, I wouldn't do anything. (laughs) But if you know that you want to be a provocative person making great videos and good content and cool documentaries, follow the line. You're putting in that effort and you are doing the right stuff. And, and I think that that's really fascinating. And so when, when it comes to the individuals, then let's reverse it. So now you've got companies and they are trying to have a, a good reputation, right? Let's say that that's maybe one of the reasons that they're putting this PR out there, that they're, they're trying to attract Uh, talent that wants to work at that company, right? Um, They put out all the success stuff. Our our employees get free lunch. They get whatever. It goes along with the company. Plus, we're such a great workplace and we're so inclusive and diverse and all this other stuff. And they're trying to use these things to attract talent as well. And so I always find it to be fascinating because you've got job seekers going out wanting to work at a good company. And very often, this is marketing. This is not reality, right? They get sold this entire story about how amazing this company is, the benefits, the inclusivity and all this stuff. And then they get there and it's just a job with a bad boss. And, and so I'm kind of curious, you know, what should people be looking out for? What are maybe some of the red flags that you should be kind of putting your antenna up to find when assessing companies and their, uh, their marketing strategies to get your talent. Yeah, I know this is like a this is like a consistent question on your great show, but I'm a really bad person to ask that question to and I'll tell yeah. you why. It's because I think that every job I ever had working for another company, I had no idea. Looking back, I mean hindsight being 2020, you don't see the red flags until you're in it. And I I don't I don't know, man. It is a really difficult process to judge a company like you would a buyer through the marketing or even through things that we think are transparent, like Glassdoor, which really isn't. It's really controlled by the employer. Right. It's a really manufactured uh, way of getting at the real company culture. It does call out a lot of brands, you know, really the really bad stuff. But 
there's a lot of mechanisms for those companies to take down bad reviews and to pay Glassdoor to take it down, just like at Yelp, right? So we really don't have a lot of transparency into what the reality of working at a company is going to be like. I wish there was a magic bullet. I know there's a lot of people that talk about the importance of culture, the importance of things beyond foosball tables and Nerf guns and unlimited vacation. I don't think it's easy to tell what that looks like from the first few interviews. Um, and I'm sure other people do. I, I'm sorry I'm giving you a non-answer. No, here. you're not giving I me a non-answer. You. You're really hitting on it. Um, right in the core because the other day someone was saying well I didn't want to apply to this job because their glass door reviews are terrible and I had to explain to them that doesn't mean anything like it's much better to get the job and then turn it down or start the job and then quit than to never apply and never go through the interview process because hey at least you're building right. skills right, right. Um, and so to your point I think the big the big thing is you know companies, we, we, we are so inundated with marketing that it's normal to just hear a company say all these great things about themselves and get us excited. And what I'm trying to help people do is tone down that excitement. Everything oh, is yeah. still just a job. Everything is still just a company. And a company is just a bunch of people with their hair on fire trying to do a decent <laughs> job. So like reducing the uh, expectations a little bit in a way. Um, yes. And then I guess maybe I agree with that. let's flip it back around. What would you say to someone um, who wants to put themselves out there in the way you have? Uh, what are some of the things that they should consider before um, taking that next step? Well, I'll say one more thing about the working at, at, at companies. I, I, I fully believe that whole adage that um, it, people don't quit jobs, they quit managers. I really 100% believe that. And I, I, I get a lot of questions from young marketers, you know, me essentially, 10, 12 years ago who are just starting, who are just getting into the field. They're, they're, they're looking at different roles. And in this past year, I've helped a bunch of them through it. And helped through meaning get on the phone and give you my two cents on it. I remember one in particular was comparing two companies in which one had a lot more cachet, more recognizable brand, um, but they weren't quite sure about their manager. The, the, the woman seemed a little iffy. And the other one was a smaller firm, a little bit wider job responsibility, more areas to grow with somebody that was gonna invest in them and I could tell just from the interview process was, was laying out a clear path, right? As I'm explaining this to you, you're probably like, obviously choose one or the other. I think we know what to look for if we've worked for managers that have hindered us or taught us lessons in not an enjoyable way, right? There's no failures, just lessons learned. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you've worked for a bad manager, you know that it's more important to work for somebody who's going to invest in you, guide you, protect you from all the you know craziness of a business, um, help you grow, be there as a mentor and a guide. It almost doesn't matter where you work. If you're early in your career, I'd look for that more than I'd look for the brand cachet, having an Amazon, Google, whatever on your resume or whatever the equivalent is in, in your space. I'd look for, are you going to have a champion who's going to help you see the see your world of work through the eyes of somebody more experienced and somebody that you want to essentially become someday or at least follow. I learned through a series of managers, um, some of which I'm still really good friends with and some of which I don't talk to anymore. There are people out there that are in your corner and then people that are gonna use you for their own benefit. And it's up to you to figure out who's who, right? And it's up to you to figure out which is a more healthy uh, path forward. For me, I would never, I have no regrets about either, but I would always in the future, if I ever went back to work for somebody, it would be because of the person I was working for and the mission of the organization and the overall kind of reason for being there. I think a lot of people get, to, you know, uh, 
They get swayed by marketing, brand marketing, employer brand. It really does a very powerful job to make you think, well, this is the place for me. But I think that's more important than anything else. Do you have a champion? You know, I forgot your other question. It was, oh, if you want to be someone who's we'll We'll, we'll circle there. back to that. Um, so the, yeah. uh, what, the, the thought that was going through my head is like, um, when you talk about the manager at the fancy brand or the manager that's going to invest in you, it's like wearing a lightweight Supreme jacket because it's cool versus a parka in Chicago in the way <laughs> it's like, which go. one's going to be the better one. And so, um, with, back to the question about like, if, if folks want to, if they're inspired by what you're doing and they want to do a little bit more, but they're a little scared of where to start. Um, my question is more around like, not not the tactical side of things, but the authenticity mm. side of things. Um, like yeah. you said earlier, so many people are like, oh, I see Gary V. I'm going to go be with Gary V. I'm going to copy Gary V. And like, clear example, if you've seen his I wasn't videos, even thinking Gary V when I said that, but you're so, he's one of, yes, he's, right. people love to hate on Gary V. I, I don't want to, well, but people love to hate on the hustle culture that people then try to replicate. Yes. And there's yeah. positives and negatives and everything. And I think, yeah. but I'm curious, like, what have you done to maintain your authenticity in your work? That's just it. The, the fact that you're asking that question is, is, is key. Like I said, I think any public display of anything has a motivation behind it. It could be me posting an update, an ad, whatever. You have to look at the motivation. I think if you're somebody who wants to um, make some change in the world, uh, this could even just be as simple as wanting to elevate your brand, uh, your, your thought leadership personally or company-wise, uh, with some kind of an original point of view to the market, just ask why, you know, Simon Sinek, buy the book, what's your why, whatever. I'm more talking about what's the, what's the, why are you doing, why, why do you feel compelled? And I think it's important to know yourself enough or right? get to a level of self-awareness where you're gut checking it against, is this just my ego <laughs> talking? Do I want that speaking gig because I want to be on stage in front of people and get that picture? You know that picture people have on their LinkedIn where it's like, you know, they're mid-speech and they got the little microphone and there's yeah. like a crowd of people like this. Like that doesn't mean that you've been successful in life. That means that you can write a killer abstract. You know how the application process works for a speaking gig and or you've built enough reputation where you get asked to speak. It just means that you're able to put on a show. This is not about personal satisfaction. If you're, if you're judging your life's work, your own sense of um, satisfaction by ego and vanity, you're going to be very unhappy for a very long time until you realize it. I think that's kind of like a Buddhist thing. I'm probably smoking too much pot. I know what I'm <laughs> referencing right now, but my God, you have to separate it from ego. Ask yourself, what is in it? What, what is my skin in the game? And I'll tell you what mine is. This whole collision of social movements and marketing comes from my own personal collision, like a hodgepodge, right, of who we are as people. I am a feminist, I am a woman, I am a gay woman, I am a marketer, I am somebody with a ton of anger around what's been happening uh, to cause the systemic racism that created the need for Black Lives Matter. I have a ton of, of respect for all the activists working to create social change. And to see it be co-opted by people in my industry, I'm in a unique position. I straddle both worlds. I have skin in the game as a member of the communities, right? And the social movements being co-opted as much as I have a platform in the space that is doing the co-opting. So I woke up one day, I think I was doing tarot. <laughs> I remember thinking, I remember just thinking so clearly, if not you, then who, if not now, then when, I don't care how cheesy that is. But when you feel that sense of calling of purpose, you would be crazy not to create work 
words, videos, whatever, into this world. If you truly believe in something, you, you need to do it. The world has changed because of that. If you're doing it for ego and for vanity and to look cool and to feel like Gary Vee, or maybe to create a kind of Patreon model where you can charge people X number of dollars a month to tell them your perspective on a, on a space, that motivation is fine. Just be clear about what it is, right? Because you're going you're gonna to end up getting to a place with that that is inauthentic, getting to a point in that where you're going to be suddenly in this, in this world that you've created for yourself that isn't based on anything real. And that's that long-term view. I hope to build on work that I can then turn and build on again with bigger and broader audiences, messages. I want to change the damn world. I'm going to use everything I know to do it, but you've got to do it in a way that's genuine and that speaks to why you're existing in the world. I feel like I'm really off today. Thank you, Martin, for letting me, but like, <laughs> this is very therapeutic for me. I'm I telling love you. it. That's what's up. And, and, you know, you're bringing in that, you know, Buddhism, that Zen, that ego is the enemy stuff that Ryan Holiday talks about. And, and I do think mm -hmm. like back when I worked in great marketing example. and advertising, yes. yeah, great book. Um, I remember I had a, a business with a buddy and I was working in advertising and I kind of fell into this mode of like dressing a certain way and like wearing vests. I don't know. I thought vests were cool for a bit. And like, you have to wear the uniform, man. You have I to hear wear the uniform. And I just remember like one day I went to an event and someone's like, you look exactly like the picture on your website. And I went and looked at the picture <laughs> and I was wearing the exact same clothes. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, all right. I'm, I'm a cartoon of myself now. And, uh, and then I <laughs> went and read a bunch of stoicism and tried to detach from that a little bit. And I do think that like challenging where you're at at different points in time, I think helps too. It's like, go down a path because you're not going to know what's right. Mm -hmm. Go down a path, do what you think is right, and then stop and reflect and say, am I moving in the direction that I want to be moving? Or is this starting to become a cliche? Is this starting to become inauthentic? Um, am I starting to just puppet the words that everyone else is saying around me? Or am I staying to what I actually believe in? And so I appreciate you sharing that part of your journey. And um, I know you've got a lot going on right now. So I want to open the floor for you to share what you have going on and where people can find you. Oh, I really appreciate letting me rant at you for an hour. Really, this, these topics are um, complex, nuanced, but somewhat universal. So if, if uh, anyone listening has, has experienced this, I want to hear it too. Please, you can find me on the internet. I'm very Googleable, Katie Martell. Um, but I'm totally focused on this documentary in this book called Woke Washed on the collision of social movements and marketing. And I'm actually funding it right now. I don't know when this will go live, but I'm funding the creation of the film and the book 100% through speaking. And so if you have an internal team, if you've got a, an event coming up, um, you wanna throw a house party and have me come speak at it. I, I'm using all those funds to make this book happen. Uh, so Very that's cool. a completely shameless plug to please hire me to come tell the world about woke washed marketing um, and to, to fund this book. Martin, thank you for doing what you do and, and having the courage to, just kind of go out there to the world, not quite knowing where an hour of someone like me is going to take you, but <laughs> making it happen. It, it, it's, I'm very grateful for it. I love it. And I appreciate you being here. Uh, we're going to link to your LinkedIn here so folks can find everything you've got going on. It'll, it'll definitely point you in the right direction. And uh, Katie, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Martin. And that's our episode. <laughs>
to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through, a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash Martin McGovern and shoot me a DM. Let me know what's going on and I'd really like to share your story with the world. What we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it. We all have tough times in our careers and sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it. So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, or leave us a review on iTunes, and I think maybe even Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode.